Today we're continuing our study in the book of Romans, and we are about to end chapter what? Three. Chapter 3. We're coming to the end of chapter 3. Okay, so let's uh, read from that passage. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word, and we'll be looking at Romans chapter 3 from verse 27 through verse 31. The inerrant and infallible word of God reads as follows. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. But what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. All right. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask that this morning... You may give us mercy, that your Holy Spirit may give us understanding of what is the depth of the salvation that you've given us through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. Lord, we have nothing to boast of, nothing to offer you, yet you have drawn us to you and you have loved us. Give us this understanding through your word this morning, and it is in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I've labeled this morning's sermon, What Christians Boast About. Now this could be interpreted a couple of different ways. We could say this statement as a question, right? Like, what do Christians boast about? Or we could have a little bit different variation and even ask, should Christians boast about something? Right? So let's keep that in mind. So first things first, let's define what we mean. What do we mean by Boasting, or the word boast. Boasting is the act of publicly displaying or proclaiming a satisfied contentment with one's own achievements. Right? I, I boast. I'm, I'm really proud of something. Now, often people who brag and boast are accused of thinking that they are better than others. And that may not necessarily be far off sometimes, right? A few years back, when I was still active on Facebook, I saw a, a relative of mine who lives in another state post a, it was actually a pretty funny meme, and the meme said something along the words of, a sample of people who think they're better than others. Number one, people who go to the gym. Number two, vegetarians. And third, but most of all, Christians, right? Now, some of us fit in more than one of those categories, right? <laughs> and the question is, how are we perceived from our church family and even from those outside the church? How are we perceived? Do we look as people who boast? And if we are boasting in something, are we being too proud? Are we being... Um, 
People who are conceited, in a sense, looking down to others. Are we boasting in something we shouldn't? And then we could turn that question around. What do other people, people in general, boast about in our day? That would be being overly proud, right? The person needs to express it publicly. What do people boast about? I found that it typically falls in three categories. Accomplishments, material possessions, or lifestyle. Some example of accomplishments would be a good education, a good job, good looks, right? After all, keeping a toned body takes lots of work. Raising a relatively good family, having kids who do well academically or in sports, being part of a group that believes in a good cause. Right? We, get the, we get the picture. Those would be accomplishments. And then material possessions. Showing off the new house, the new car, the new gadget. And then lifestyle. Hey, look at how well I have my life put together. I need to take a selfie everywhere I go. I need to take a picture of how great a time I'm having with my family. Right. Lifestyle. Now, are all of these things that someone may be proud of, are these things necessarily bad? No, right? It's not. Not at all. Nothing wrong with having accomplishments. Truth is that accomplishments that are worthwhile take a lot of work. Right? Take a lot of work. The bad thing is that in boasting about those things, it typically goes hand in hand with being prideful, with thinking too highly of ourselves for the abilities, the talents, or even the fact that God has blessed us more than he has blessed others when we have no doing in it. I can honestly count many instances of my life in which God has shown me favor, where I look around and I think that other people are more deserving of the blessings God gives me, and yet, somehow, I end up with those blessings. So then the key, as we begin today's, the study of today's passages, as Christians, we should recognize the biblical principle that is summarized with precision in James 1, verse 17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Whatever blessing, whatever gift, whatever talent, whatever favorable situation we find ourselves in today, it is provided by God. And it is something that should make us thankful not boastful or prideful. Now, this is true in regards, right, to our talents, provision. But most importantly, the gift of salvation, the main gift that comes from the Father of lights. God given us the greatest gift of all, eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So then, what is that gift? Something is that gift something that Christians should boast about? Do Christians boast about having salvation? Or should we boast about anything at all? We're going to answer that question today. So the letter to the Romans, Paul is expanding upon the problem that humanity is faced with. He spent pretty much the first two chapters, almost three chapters, saying that God is holy and perfect. He is impartial in his judgments. Whereas we, the human race, 
We are the opposite. We are corrupted. We are rebels. Both the Jew and the Gentile have rejected God. The Jew had a sort of an advantage because they had the law, they had the, the prophets, they had the instruction of God, but they pretty much have rebelled against that. Whereas the Gentiles, they have the knowledge that they're made in the image of God, they have their conscience, they have the law of God written in their heart, and yet they had chosen to exchange the glory of God for that of the created, and hence have become corrupted in their heart. So both Jew and Gentile are at odds and are enemies of God. Now last week, Deacon Eric preached on the passage that finally introduces the solution to that dilemma. And what is that solution? Well, because we are rebel sinners that are enemies of God, the solution to that enmity must come only from God himself. This is how God shows his righteousness. He cannot give anyone a pass for their sin, and yet God is merciful. He is just and he is merciful. And that righteousness of his being merciful and of his perfect judgment comes through the sacrifice of Christ alone. Paul has finally come to that presentation. Now, Paul has presented that justification by faith concept. And we get to the main passage of today. If God is the one who provides what is necessary to make us righteous before him, can we be proud that we did something? Do we have anything to boast about? Like, aha, look at me. Like, I'm saved. The person who was next to me, they heard the message. Obviously, I'm better because I got it. Can we boast in that way? So then, what is Paul's intent in this portion of the letter? I think this helps us, right, as we read the passage. Paul is telling the church at Rome that their righteous standing before God is not their own doing. Therefore, there is no room for self-boasting. Okay? And we're going to see this in three main points. The righteousness before God that is attained by his provision, that's the gospel, has certain implications. First, that there is no room for spiritual boasting. Secondly, that justification is by faith alone. And thirdly, that true faith in Christ fulfills the law. It doesn't get rid of the law. It fulfills the law. So let us look at the first point. Romans 3.27, we're going to see how there is no room for spiritual boasting. It says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. Think of the passage that we're reading today as headings or titles of concepts that Paul is going to develop through the rest of the book of Romans. Specifically, this one about whether somebody should boast or not, Paul is going to start talking about that right away in chapter 4, whether Abraham has something to boast about. Now, the answer is obvious that people who are right with God have nothing to boast about, right? Because it's not through any works that they've done, but it's by faith. Now, the Jewish audience that Paul is referring to, they should have known this, that a right standing before God, even though they had the law, even though they had the covenant 
um, of the Old Testament, even though they had the commandment of circumcision, they should have known that being in a right standing with God, a justification before God was through faith. However, it is very easy to reject God's truth if we have already made up our mind of what we think is going to make us right before God. And that is true even in our day for us. So how do we know that the Jewish folks should have known that justification is by faith? Let us look at Genesis 15, verse 6. It says, And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay? The importance of this verse, and it's obviously further elaborated if we read the whole chapter of Genesis 15, but the important thing is this. When we fast forward two chapters to Genesis 17, we read the following. Genesis 17, 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Okay, now, this is the key now. Abraham was justified because he believed God by faith. That is before God gave the law. That is before God gave the commandment that his people should be circumcised. You see that? And the Jewish folks had come to a point where they says, unless you're circumcised, you are not right with God. Where they should have known that justification is by faith. And Paul is picking up on that theme now. So how does this relate to me? Right? How does this relate to us? Are you or am I exempt from wrongfully boasting? Thinking that my right standing with God is because of something I thought or did or acted upon or participated. Have we in heart or even openly expressed an attitude such as follows? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those Armenians out there in other churches. Or Lord, I thank you that my sin is not as bad as my spouse's sin. Or as bad as my brother's sin. Have we not ever thought that? Now, yes, doctrine does matter. We can agree that, it, that there is erroneous doctrine out there. And that doctrine gets progressively and aggressively worse. Because a false understanding of God will lead to a false gospel. But let us not forget. If we have true saving faith in Christ... It is nothing that you have done. It is a gift of God that you have received, which you did not deserve. This truth will play out in our attitude of humility, thanksgiving, and submission in obedience to the Lordship of Christ. So there is no room for any selfish boasting. We have an example of Paul himself as he played this out. We look at Philippians 3, verses 4 through 7. This is Paul talking. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else think he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteous under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted 
as loss for the sake of Christ. So that's Paul explaining his own situation. It's like a good exhibit, right, for the case he's making. That even though if he were to be ranked in a sort of like graded in a curve with respect to his other fellow Pharisees and Jewish folks, he says, I have you beat. I'm actually a better Jew than you are. But Paul says, I have thrown all that away and embraced the grace of knowing Jesus. See that? If there was one who could boast, it was Paul. And he says, I can't boast. So the key then is this. Everyone, doesn't matter if Christian or not, whether interested or indifferent in regards to the things of God, everyone has something in mind in which they think that when they come before the judgment of God will be valid. Some of those thoughts are, I'm a good person. I actually do more good deeds than bad deeds. Or, okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as, fill in the blank. Or, I grew up in a Christian home. This is very important, right? Um, I was not raised in a Christian home, but many of the young kids here are. Right? So, children... Remember that just because you are raised in a Christian home does not mean that you are a Christian. You must trust Jesus and you must obey Jesus and your parents in order to show that you love Jesus. Other excuses that people may have is, well, I go to church or I got baptized or I believe in Reformed theology or I go to a Reformed Baptist church. Right? Just get closer and closer to home. My friends, as important as those things are, none of those ways of boasting have room in the heart of the Christian. Let us take a look at the next verse, Romans 3.27. It says, it's the same verse, I'm sorry, but at the second part of it. right? What becomes for a boasting, it is excluded. But what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. By what kind of law? When it says this, various commentators, such as the late Leon Morris, of which is one of the main commentaries I've been using for the book of Romans, have pointed out that when Paul states here, quote, by what kind of law, unquote, it cannot only be understood as the Old Testament law, as the law of Moses, but it can also be understood more generally as to say, by what kind of principle, Okay. But what kind of principle? So then the passage would be understood a little bit this way. Boasting of a Christian is excluded by what principle? By a principle of works? No, but by the principle of faith. So let us keep that in mind. In that particular passage, we are to understand that we cannot boast because of the principle of Faith, our justification will be by faith. Leads to point number two. That justification Paul is talking about is that very concept, is by faith alone. Let us take a look at the next couple of verses. Romans 3, 28 through 30. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now that is a very important statement. Paul is saying, for we hold... That one. Now, that is, has a flavor of a declaration of faith 
of a confessional statement, right? We are a confessional church. We abide by the 1689 Confession of Faith. And this is very important. Paul is saying we, we hold. He's talking to a church, right? And this is the importance of having an established proclamation of faith and an and established and agreed upon standard by which we agree on doctrine. Okay, so just thought I'd make that comment. Continuing on there in the same verse, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Let us remember definition of what it means to be justified. Justification is a legal declaration that someone is in right standing before God. As in before going to tribunal for a judge, and you are made right before that legal tribunal. So how is one justified? Paul is telling us that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. This is a fundamental declaration of Christianity, specifically of those of us who adhere to the doctrines of grace, right? The five solas. This is expounded upon further in our 1689 Confession of Faith. But let's think of an application. We're saved by grace through faith, right? We can easily have a dismissive attitude thinking, yes, I know, through grace. Yes, through faith. Yes, through Christ. Yes, because of the scriptures tells us. So the scripture. Yes, with the glory of God alone. Yes, we could go through that. But... Why is it important to not have a dismissive attitude? Well, if we only examine our lives, it won't take long to realize that, although we believe this, the grace that we proclaim to believe is not what we show others. Example number one, do we not become overly agitated and even angry when someone disagrees theologically with us? But hey, doctors of grace. But let me give you my wrath. All right. Example number two, and a little bit closer to home. Do we not become frustrated and even erupt in anger when someone doesn't agree with us on something or when someone in our own family doesn't do what we tell them to do, what we want them to do? Our spouse, our significant other, our kids. How is that belief in grace working for us during those times? It is almost as if we're saying, God, thank you for showing me grace. But you'll understand that I need to show my loved one right now. It's not grace, but wrath. Is that not true? It happened to me this week. So then Paul's saying here, we are justified by faith. And if we ever think that the Bible is repetitive and hence a recurring theme of what we see, of what I'm preaching, you better believe it. It is repetitive. The reason is because although we may believe it, we need a constant reminder that one, we are saved by grace through faith, not through any good deeds. And secondly, that our saving faith will necessarily and ultimate manifest itself in a changed life. Until we're able to do that, we're going to need that constant reminder. And guess how long it's going to take? 
until the day that the Lord takes us. Who is the offer of salvation through faith good for? Is it for the Jews only? Paul says God is one. Is it for the Jew only? Who being so proud that they belong to the, to the people of God, rejected God, making up their own rules. Or for the Gentiles, who being ignorant of God's written law, they still rejected and suppressed the truth of God that is written in their hearts. And Paul concludes, this is the God of both Jews and Gentiles. And the expectation is the same. If they are to be saved, it will not be by anything they can do, but it will be by faith alone, through Christ alone. Now a quick note here. The Jewish folks, obviously, monotheists, only one God. Paul is reminding them that all those idols that the pagans worshipped, their neighbors worship. They're actually not real gods. They have no power. And Jehovah God, therefore, the only true and powerful God, is not only their God, but he's God over all. You see that? Another hint and reminder that Paul is telling the Jewish folks that God is the God of all creation, the God of all creatures. Psalm 98 verse 2 puts it this way. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. This is consistent with the promise that God gave Abraham. He will make him father of many nations. Moving on to the third point. True faith in Christ fulfills the law. Romans 3.31 reads, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So then the question becomes, right? Paul, in this literary style of a diatribe, he's asking a question and then he's answering it because he knows these questions are coming. This is the questions of his audience. And the word that Paul uses here, overthrow, right? Should we overthrow the law? It means to abolish, to set aside, to wipe out, to cause to become idle, inactive, inoperative, or useless, right? Because the Jewish objection goes something like this. Okay, Paul, let's concede for a moment that salvation is through faith in Christ. Then we don't need to keep the law. That's actually not too bad of news. So we could just get rid of the law. This is Paul's caution against that wrong conclusion. If salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, then we cannot toss the law, Paul says. Why? Three reasons. One is we should remember that the law shows us the character of God. And what is expected then of us when we come to him. Secondly, the law, the strictness of the law, is the standard of perfection. And it shows us that we cannot keep it. It's impossible. Galatians 3, 23 to 25, talk more about that. I don't have it here quoted, but I just made a note. Elsewhere, it's elaborating more. And thirdly, this requirement from God of the law does not go away. It must still be met. If anyone is to be accepted by God, 
his requirement of the law must still be met. It is here where biblical Christianity differs from all other false belief systems and even sects or denominations that have gone astray. The perfection standard still needs to be met. And there's people all over the world, this very day, this very hour, trying to meet that requirement. And guess what? They are all doing an excellent job at failing. That requirement has been met, but not by you and me. It has been met by Christ, for he committed no sin, for he was a perfect sacrifice. He bore the wrath of God to satisfy a perfect justice that was demanded. And it is by faith in his work that we are saved, and it leaves us with nothing to be proud of, and should leave us with nothing but humble gratitude. This is very relevant to us. Right? The warning against, well, I'm saved by faith, so let me go out and mess around. That is false. Firstly, people often say, okay, well, once saved, always saved. I say that's the wrong approach. If you are truly saved by God's grace, you will persevere to the end, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13. Him who perseveres to the end will be saved. Also, another false notion is that if I'm covered under God's grace, I can go and sin however I want. Again, wrong approach. Paul says in Romans 6, 2, may it never be. When he asks the question, shall we sin that grace may abound? He says, may it never be. Evidence of true salvation will be continued repentance of the believer as we mature in faith becoming more and more obedient to the commands of God. Although never perfectly obedient, we are to exemplify a lifelong journey of repentance, turning to the Lord in repentance. In this last verse of today's passage, we are reminded that the standard of perfection then by God must still be met. And it was met and fulfilled by the perfect birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we have trusted in Christ, then we will want to be more like him, not less like him. Another way to think about this is the law shows us the requirement to be saved from the wrath of God. For rebelling against him, for sinning against him. While at the same time, this makes us realize that it is impossible to do this on our own. The law then prepares the way for Christ. As he said in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So then salvation, by grace through faith, does not get rid of the law but rather brings in the one who has fulfilled the law. Like having a last piece of the puzzle to put in, right? It's not complete until you have that. So in a mighty way, the Lord Jesus comes and lives his perfect life and becomes a sacrifice 
so that that piece that is missing will be put in place. And the law then is fulfilled. It is not done away with so that we can receive grace. So what can we say then? Some reflections from the passage today. First, have you received the righteousness of Christ? In order to do so, you must abandon, and I mean abandon, your sinking ship of self-righteousness, of boasting in something you have done to be right with God, of excuses of how your sin is excusable because someone else did something to you. Flee that ship. In biblical Christianity, you get this, there is no place for human initiative, but there is place for a human response to the gospel. Repent. Turn from your pride. Turn from your mentality of victimhood, if you have one, and fall upon the mercy of God as an undeserving sinner so you can receive grace. Secondly, if you have done that, a good first sign of that, or a call to respond to that salvation, is that any boasting that you may have is exchanged for gratitude and humility. It's an attitude of saying, I have done nothing to deserve goodness, and yet I have been granted goodness. Third, would be another sign that the gratitude, the humility of being made right with God, being adopted as a son or a daughter by faith in Christ, it is necessarily and ultimately reflected in our daily character. We must show fruit of our salvation. If we are accused of being a Christian, there must be evidence to convict us of being a Christian. So then we come back to the question of the sermon today. What do Christians boast about? Should we boast about anything? Let it be known that we should never boast in our religion. In our, our religion. We should never boast in anything that we have done. But as God has given us a changed heart, that exchange of becoming a new creature in Jesus. Our boasting is and should be only in what Christ has done. To put ourselves out of the picture and just say, praise be the Lord Jesus, that he saved me when I least deserved it. So that we can then show that in our daily living. When I don't get my way, when others upset me. Remember, it is of no credit to be in good conduct, to show a nice character when others are nice to you. But it is an opportunity to show a Christian character when you've been wronged. Will you show grace or will you show wrath? I will close with two passages from the Old Testament. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. 
Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And then the second scripture in the closing scripture, Psalm 32, Psalm 34, sorry, verse 2. It says, My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble, note, the humble will hear it and rejoice. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us this morning through this passage. Remind us, Lord, that in being right with you, there is no room to boast of our initiative or to boast of, quote, having accepted Jesus. No. That's nothing we ever done or can do. It is only by your grace, by your mercy, that you have given us a mind to know you, to understand your gospel. And therefore, it's nothing we have done. Convict us then, Lord, to get rid of any boasting, of any pride, and that we would cry out, Lord, like the tax collector, Lord, have mercy on me. And come to you in repentance, trusting only in the work of Jesus, who is our perfect and only Savior, and in whose name we pray. Amen.